Chapter Twenty Five of Wise and Otherwise. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Wise and Otherwise by Pansy. Chapter Twenty Five. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. Seizing upon her little hand satchel with a business-like air, Dell sprang from the platform of the train and, after a few inquiries addressed to a courteous policeman, made her way up Chestnut Street and presently reached Mrs. Ainsley's number. She had mounted the steps and had her hand on the bell knob when she seemed suddenly to change her mind, and running down the steps again, picked her way daintily through a muddy carriage drive in search of a back door, soliloquizing as she went, When I am mistress, I shall have a good sensible plank walk around to the back door, provided I have by that time decided that it is a heinous crime in the maid to use the front door. Meantime, however, being at present the maid, I suppose it is my duty to confine my reforms to that quarter and let the mistress alone. I'll fish out a board or two, though, from somewhere, before I've occupied this mansion twenty-four hours, that is to say, if I occupy it at all. A slatternly-looking girl, with her uncombed hair hanging down her back, and her dress in ruffles that time and nails had made, answered Dell's knock, and set her off into another mental computation as to how long she should be likely to serve as cook in that establishment, provided she were expected to room with that girl. She actually shivered over the thought, really the first that had met her in any other light but that of fun. She waited in a disorderly dining-room for Mrs. Ainsley's appearance, and had the satisfaction of hearing a disconsolate voice, supposed to belong to that lady, say, "'Another girl to talk with! I'm nearly worn out. This is the ninth applicant since yesterday morning.' "'Encouraging,' murmured Dell, while a man's voice responded. "'Do take this one if she knows a potato from a cabbage. You must be too hard to suit, Almira.' "'That is all you know about it,' sighed Almira. And then she swept into the dining-room, a tall, pale woman with a worn, weary face that in repose was either habitually sad or fretful. Dell could not quite determine which. She had pale yellow curls, long and thin, falling back from her wan face, and was attired in a morning dress of deep black, unrelieved by a touch even of white. Altogether, Dell did not wonder that she sighed, especially if she had happened to catch a glimpse of her forlorn self in her transit from the next room. She seemed a good deal amazed at Dell's appearance, and only stared in answer to that young lady's bow. Finally, however, she recovered herself, and said with commendable brevity, "'What is your name?' Fortunately for Dell, this question had been anticipated, and she answered glibly, "'Delia Bronson.' "'You are in search of a place, are you?' To this question, Dell, not being able to bring her mind to the stereotyped "'Yes, ma'am,' answered simply by bowing her head. Where do you come from? This question, too, had been provided for. Dell had decided to say as little as possible about Newton, and so she answered promptly, From Boston. Boston? With a rising inflection and a suspicious elevation of the eyebrows. You have come a long distance in search of employment. You bring references, of course, from your last place? I have been living with my uncle in Boston, and I didn't suppose people would care for a reference to him. At the same time, Dell's eyes grew merry over the strangeness of her uncle writing her a certificate of character. "'What was your work in your uncle's family?' At which query Dell hesitated and nearly disgraced herself by laughing. Suppose she should tell her exact work. 
In the first place, she was always dressed to receive morning callers. Then she attended to the vases, putting fresh flowers all about the house. The canaries were also her care. And really, with this meager list, her recognized work ended. Clearly this would not do to tell Mrs. Ainsley. I had no cooking to do at my uncle's, she finally said, dashing into her story with a feeling that she was really making a sorry figure in Mrs. Ainsley's eyes. Before that time I lived with my father in Lewiston, and I was my father's housekeeper. Then you really mean to tell me that you have never lived in a gentleman's family and understood work only as you learned it at home? This with a tremendous lifting of the eyebrows, which Dell was too amused to notice. What would Mrs. Ainsley have thought of her Uncle Edward Stockwell's home and family? However, there was no denying Mrs. Ainsley's statement, so the would-be cook answered calmly, That's all the experience I have had. The lady looked the picture of despair. The idea of your supposing that you could do my cooking, she said in dismay. The absurdity of her position was growing every moment more apparent to Dell, but she rallied bravely for one more effort. I was brought up by my aunt, and she had me learn cooking. Then, when I was eighteen, I went home to my father and kept his house. We had boarders, and I think our table always gave satisfaction. Oh, yes, of course, but your aunt's cooking was probably very different from mine. Dell had not the least idea but that it was, and the idea of her Aunt Laura's professional cook condescending to get up a dinner out there in Mrs. Ainsley's kitchen came over her again with its ludicrous side almost too apparent. However, said Mrs. Ainsley, relenting a little, almost any sort of cooking is better than none, and I am utterly discouraged with the set who have been to me. You look neat at least, and I've half a mind to try you for a few days. What wages do you expect? Dell had canvassed that matter. Good, fair country wages, such as she had given to Kate in the old hotel, she had decided to demand. Mrs. Ainsley said they were large for a girl who had no experience, but girls' wages were exorbitant nowadays, and she supposed she must submit to that with all the rest. And she sighed heavily and looked every inch a martyr. "'Who sent you to me?' she inquired suddenly. In response, Dell opened the Greenfield daily and pointed to the lady's advertisement. "'And did you come all the way from Boston to answer my advertisement?' "'Oh, no, ma'am,' said Dell, smiling, and beginning to conclude that she would pardon Mrs. Ainsley for considering her a suspicious character. "'I have been stopping with some friends in Newton.' "'Oh, you have friends as near as Newton.' This was evidently not considered a recommendation. "'Do your friends work in the mill?' "'Some of them do,' Dell answered, thinking at once of great-hearted Jim Forbes, and of how proud she was to call him friend. "'Have you been a mill girl yourself?' "'No, ma'am,' said Dell, stooping suddenly to pick up her paper, which had fallen. "'Well, now, if I consent to try you for a few days, how much must I be annoyed with company running here to see you? I do not tolerate that sort of thing any more than is absolutely necessary, and you may as well understand it from the first. "'How considerate and altogether Christian,' thought Dell. "'When I am a mistress, how many things there will be to reform?' But her answer was quite meek. I have no acquaintances to visit me. They are very easily made, responded the martyr spirit disconsolately, and you must understand from the first that I don't permit followers at all. Another kind and thoughtful proviso. 
because a girl cooks her dinner, she must have no friends and no lover. This in indignant soliloquy by Dell. Then the comic side nearly overcame her again. What if Mr. Nelson should take it into his insane head to come and see her? Mrs. Ainsley eyed her sharply. Are you mixed up in anything of that kind? She said at last, suspicion quivering in every letter of her words. Dell's eyes flashed a little. This was carrying surveillance almost too far. What wonder that respectable American girls shrank from such an ordeal as she was undergoing. Was it all false pride that kept them starving at their needles or drudging in schoolrooms? And yet, she added, rallying her forces, the disgrace and the coarseness are on her side, not mine. Why should I care? Then she answered with quiet dignity, I am corresponding with a friend, Mrs. Ainsley, but he is far away from here and will not trouble you. Oh, you are! Mrs. Ainsley evidently did not approve. And how often will he be coming to visit you? Not this winter, I presume, Dell said, a little pang in her heart because of this, but the memory of those days together in Boston, only last week, was still fresh. Are you going to marry this man? Flashing eyes, but still a quiet voice. I expect to. When? Was this impudence to be borne? Should she truthfully say, that is none of your business, and leave Mrs. Ainsley to her reflections? Then what would become of all her pet schemes, her longing after practical experience in this very field, to help her in what she wanted to do in the future? Not thus early vanquished would she flee the ground. And just then a vision of the letter she would write to Abby, and Mr. Sale's probable comments thereon, restored her to good humor, and she actually replied with a smile. Not for some time to come, madam. But there will be nothing permanent, even if I take fancy to keep you, which, I must say, is extremely improbable. Nevertheless, Mrs. Ainsley looked as if she considered herself wronged, and Dell's eyes danced as she said demurely, Nothing beyond this coming winter. Oh, well, that is always the way. Girls never know when they are well off. However, that will probably make very little difference to me. Well, I must say I never did such a strange thing in my life, engage a girl without character or experience, but I like your looks very well, and I believe you have told me the truth, so if you choose you can take off your things and try it for a week. We can manage to survive somehow during that length of time, I guess. Another item for Mr. Sales. How would Mrs. Ainsley look telling her dressmaker or her milliner, I believe you have told me the truth yet to the cook it must be considered as complimentary. It was certainly a strange world, with the very queerest grades and distinctions in it that could be imagined. Yet Dell's courage did not forsake her. It had been strengthened by tremendous opposition during these weeks, and several persons were awaiting the result, sure of failure. Therefore obstinate Dell resolved that she would not fail, unless, there was one proviso, if she were obliged to room with that girl who was at that moment peering at her through the half-open kitchen door. She determined on a bold stroke. Does your cook room with the second girl, madam? No, she does not, said Mrs. Ainsley, with great firmness and decided emphasis. I have tried that to my heart's content. The last girl I had chatted with Harry half the night, and they both went around half asleep the next day. I'll have no more of that. Harry is the second girl. She is a perfect nuisance, but they are all nuisances in one form or another. And then this patient martyr sighed again very heavily, 
and looked the image of resigned despair. Meantime Dell, her position assured at least for a few days, gave herself up for a moment to the uninterrupted enjoyment of a sweet baby face that laughed down at her from his frame on the wall. It had irresistible attractions for her. She longed to kiss that rosebud mouth. I can set Mr. Sayles' heart at rest on one point, she told herself, remembering with an amused smile that gentleman's last caution. I'll certainly never slap that baby. Mrs. Ainsley's eyes followed her new girls and rested on the picture. That's my baby, she said with a sudden softening of tone, my little Lori when he was sixteen months old. He is very beautiful, said Dell, cordial sympathy in her voice. The picture did not do him justice, sighed Mrs. Ainsley. No picture could. He was much more beautiful than that when he died. Everyone who saw him said he was too beautiful to be put in the grave. It is impossible to give you an idea of the utter hopeless sadness of the tone in which these words were spoken. It quivered to the very depths of Dell's heart. This laughing baby was gone then, and the weak, selfish, exacting woman before her stood invested with the sacred sorrow of mourning motherhood, empty arms, empty crib, empty heart. She thought of the dear crib in Aunt Laura's room in Boston, of baby Essie in her nursery with Abby, at this moment, and her heart went out very pitifully toward this desolate mother. No silver linings to her cloud. It could not be she was a Christian. Nothing in her words or manner had indicated it, and she had said her baby died and was put in the grave. Almost all Christian mothers, Dell had noticed, shunned these words, said rather, gone to heaven, gone to Jesus. Perhaps this was the key to this mother's hopeless, weary face, absorbed in a heavy, selfish sorrow, with no one to help her bear it, too heavy a pain to spend itself in weeping, too hopeless in one to find comfort in anything else, just letting her cross weigh her down and bear its weight heavily and constantly on her. Such she looked to Dell, and her heart, that was throbbing with sympathy, gave another throb of something akin to joy. What if her persistent following up of this particular woman, with a tenacity that had clung to her in a manner that even seemed ludicrous to herself, meant that she was to have an opportunity to say to this worn heart, The cross is too heavy for you. Don't carry it. The Master is waiting to lift it. He has sent me to tell you that above it the sun is shining, and heaven is over all. Very swiftly these thoughts rushed through her mind as she stood before the picture, and with them a little prayer that such would be her aim. She gave no expression in words to these thoughts. This was no fitting opportunity, only as she turned from the sweet face, she said very gently, very softly, He shall gather the lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom. She couldn't resist this tender little crumb of comfort. Mrs. Ainsley looked at her new girl a moment in startled wonder. Then her lip quivered, her dreary composure gave way, and she suddenly buried her face in her handkerchief and sobbed. Dell went softly out to the dingy kitchen, and prevailed upon the slatternly girl to show her where and what and how. End of chapter 25 Recording by Tricia G.